Hello, and welcome once again to the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest storytelling either side of the breach. Today, we continue the story of the Ortega family, that brave family of never-born hunters. If any of the Ortegas are listening to this show, I would like to express my appreciation for everything you do. The never-born are vile creatures who must be exterminated. For my part, I check the studio daily for signs of never-born incursion, and I can assure the Ortegas that this location is free and clear of those hideous creatures. I urge them to focus their efforts elsewhere. If any never-born make their way into the studio, I will be the first to alert the Ortegas to their presence. Rumours of never-born involvement in my predecessor's disappearance are unsubstantiated. Today's story shows what happens when you play with fire. As any child knows, you end up getting burnt. Anyone engaged in investigatory work around this studio would do well to remember that. You know who you are. With that being said, the warmth of a crackling fire is lovely at this time of year. I encourage you all to curl up in front of your fireplaces and enjoy today's tale, Latigo and the Inferno. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the Swampside Tavern. Why not stop by the Swampside Tavern for a glass of genuine Bayou distilled all-purpose liquor? It's not quite whiskey, it's not quite gin, and it certainly isn't tequila. Neither is it rum or brandy or absinthe or arak or schnapps. To be honest, we're not quite sure what it is, but it does the job. The management takes no responsibility for blindness resulting from consumption of all-purpose liquor. Latigo and the Inferno Something had changed between one visit and the next. One day Perdita was lying quietly asleep. The next, she would be sitting up, but unresponsive. Francisco and Santiago sat with her, speaking gently, and when they touched her lips with a spoon, she would take the hot broth. But no matter what they did or what they said, she just sat, the strange purple and silver coloration of her eyes refusing to abate. They had removed the straps holding her to the bed and still gained no reaction from her. Her mind was not blank. Every so often her lips would move and her brothers would lean in, but if she spoke, the words were never in any language they recognized. They spoke often of taking her back to Latigo, concerned that the city was no place for her, but had not yet taken the risk. Perdita stood on a hill overlooking Latigo Ranch, though she knew that no such hill existed. It's my hill. She wasn't alone. One of the students who had been at Kythera had stepped up next to her. Until a day ago, they had been little more than disembodied voices. Then she had felt a hand on her face, and a terrible power shifted through her. 
Then everything had changed. She had seen truth. Like a storm, the blackness that had surrounded her faded, bringing her to a place where everything was painted in shades of purple and nothing was ever exactly right. I don't need your hill. Reality shifted and they were standing in the open plain, still looking in at Latigo. She could go back. Her brother's voices were calling to her. But there was something to learn here. She turned toward the bayou. Even at this distance, she could see clearly that it had grown even more primordial. It was somehow denser, and strange purple vines hung like snakes. There's nothing for you in there. The boy took a step after her, but that was already too close to the trees to his comfort. She knew he had been the one. He had warned her that she wasn't ready for the truth. The truth she must grapple with soon. Go home, Perdita. If she would not listen to her own brother's pleas to return home, why would she listen to this shade? She took a few steps toward the bayou, and the trees rushed closer, surrounding her in a single step. With another step, she was deep inside the swamp, further than her family had explored before. She should have been afraid. There were dangerous things in the bayou, and she knew in the certainty of dreams that she was near the hag's territory. Then between one step and the next, she could feel eyes upon her, and she turned. The sky had grown dark, and dozens of eyes were looking back at her. Come and fight me, Kobades. Provoking them was probably not the brightest idea. The shadows receded around them, and she could see each creature. They were a dozen times taller than the largest Neverborn she had ever fought. She craned her neck to meet their gaze, and she widened her stance in defiance. Though she had never seen most of them before, they felt familiar. Perdita slid her hands back on her hips, grateful to find that even in her dream she carried a trusty peacebringer. If they had all attacked at once, even she could not stand against them. They approached one at a time, like some backyard showdown. The first to approach was one she recognized. It was one of the creatures from the pit, but where the others had been the size of humans, this one hulked dozens of feet into the air. The machinery on its back huffed as it worked, though there was no steam. Its body swirled with a purple-silver sheen. She turned, long hair swinging behind her, and took a heartbeat to aim, then squeezed the trigger. She swore. Dita? Santiago was sitting by her bedside, and he leaned in. The curse was the first understandable word she had spoken since her dreaming began. Francisco looked over from beside his customary brooding window. Perdita, can you hear me? It was rare that both brothers were in the city at the same time, but they were both glad that Francisco had put off his return to Latigo. The darkness consumed her, choking her. Her eyes grew darker. Her pupils erased in the purple-black. There were only flecks of silver, glinting like distant stars. The voices were speaking, whispering secrets that no one had known since well before the breach wound opened. Padida, we're here! Francisco moved to the other side of the bed and took her other hand, but she was still beyond them. You can stop them! They were speaking more quickly now, but she had learned what she needed to know. She spoke again her head turning to Francisco. Twelve names for thirteen tyrants. Nightmare. Obliteration. 
Her hands tightened against her brothers and her eyes closed. She looked almost normal, but her voice was deep and emotionless. Plague. December. They leaned in, desperate for each word. She could still hear them, like a distant echo that did not fade. Gorgon. Chesul. Fortune. Each name struck Francisco deep in the chest. His sister was still facing him, and though her eyes were closed, it felt like an accusation. The dragons. Despair. Her will pressed against them, drove the darkness back until she had space enough to breathe. Space enough to remember who she was and her purpose. Meridian and witness. Her eyes opened and she turned to speak to Santiago. Cherufe. The sky left her eyes. She was their sister again. Creed, we can save her. We have to leave now. Her voice did not crack or waver. It was as if she had never slept. Francisco looked to Santiago, but he gave one of his damnable shrugs. Wearing only the thin hospital gown, she slid from the bed and reached for Santiago's holstered gun. He grabbed her wrist before she could draw it. Surely there's enough time to dress first, Hermana. Perdita looked at him, then at Francisco. Her eyes closed as she tested the truth of his statement. Barely. There had been a clean set of clothes for her already folded and ready at the hospital, since the family had never given up hope that she would wake. With her wide-brimmed hat and a peace-bringer at her hip, Perdita felt complete once more. They began the ride back to Latigo on horseback, Perdita riding double with her older brother but they barely made it out of the Malifaux gates when a large shadow fell over them. Don't shoot. They pulled up their horses and Perdita dismounted. The creature landed. It was longer and thicker than a horse with the head of a beast, though its jaw was split along the mandible, allowing it to bite a much larger target than any canine. All four legs ended with wicked claws, resembling a cat's paw more than hooves and a set of leathery wings folded back meekly as the woman approached. Its eyes had the same purple and silver bands that had covered Perdita's less than an hour earlier. Go without me. She had marked an entrance to the necropolis on a map. It would lead them on a path through the sewers, but with her beast in hand she would take a different route. I would collect the rest of us and meet you inside. How will we find you? Santiago didn't like to see his sister on petting terms with a neverborn. They were tasked with the extermination of such creatures, after all. He knew it would do no good to try and talk her out of it now, and there were more pressing matters. I will find you. Tarufe's trail should be obvious. The creature knelt, allowing her to climb on its back, and she buried her hands in the thick mane of hair running down its neck. Go. There isn't time for this. Without needing a command, the creature took to the sky, heading for Latigo. Right. Santiago spat and it sizzled against a hot stone. They had been wandering the sewers for the better part of the day. 
Francisco couldn't even chide his younger brother for his sarcasm. They travelled on foot most of the way, predicting correctly that some of their paths would be too narrow for the horses. Some tunnels had been tight going for Santiago, but despite a few tricky corners they had made it to the necropolis. Lava had burst through the surface in many places as they drew closer. They were sweating hard, but neither man dared to shed the protection of their heavy dusters. Francisco's had already saved him from a severe burn when magma burst from the ground next to their path. Aside from the small pools, there was a larger flow, fed by smaller subsidiaries, but even this wasn't as obvious as the red-hot lines in the wall. They were like arrows pointing deeper into the tunnels. Even picking their paths carefully, their boots were soon black with ash, the soles starting to crack from the heat. Then they heard the sounds of fighting ahead and ran, throwing caution to the wind. Their voices were yelling in Spanish, and they recognized the sounds of Peacebringer fire. How did she get here first? Francisco looked to his brother, who just gave one of his shrugs. The Ortegas were known to be a brave family, especially Santiago, whose fearlessness had inspired dozens of folk legends about the man. Even he was stilled by what he saw before him. Francisco muttered something that was half curse, half prayer, and as one, they drew their guns and ran into the fray. It had taken all her strength to prevent Cherufe from killing the most loyal man she had ever known. But Sonia knew that it was a losing battle. The tyrant had her completely in his power, and she could feel each bit of herself slipping. No, not slipping away, but consumed by the fire that was burning her body. A bullet ricocheted from the stone next to Sonia's flaming head. Perdita stood, smoke still coming from the barrel of her peacebringer. Ortega! The voice was barely recognizable as Crit's. The echoes of Terufe nearly drowning her out. The voice reminded Pedita of the popping of coals or the straining of burned wood as it gives under the weight of a house. You'll know why I am here, Terufe. Pedita lifted the bag she had carried into the cave and rattled it. The clang of metal on metal forced the Sonya creature to shake its head in pain. It roared and blew fire, filling the room with heat and smoke. Pedita was forced into an alcove. She leaned out for only a moment to take view of the room. But even that second was enough for the tyrant to bellow flame toward her. She could only see part of the inferno from her protected position. She could hear the sizzling footsteps of Sharufe plodding ever closer. Then Perdita saw it. She could make out a ring of fire, its light cutting through the smoke. She could see his silhouette limp on the stone floor. Hopkins! she yelled, her voice a command. Samael knew that he had been down for some time, fading in and out of consciousness. His lungs felt heavy with heat. He remembered summers when Sonia had managed even in the hottest days while wearing her heavy coat. The heat around him lent an acrid smell to the air, but it was of little matter, like winter's cold against a thick jacket. Then he heard his name. He opened his eyes and remembered where he was. Gatch! He turned in time to see a thick bag flying at him. She had impressive aim, especially considering that the room was filled with smoke. 
but she hadn't thrown it hard enough for it to reach him. The bag rolled on the floor, causing Tarufe to howl in protest again, and stopped inches away from Samael. He loosened the ties and looked inside. He didn't like it. It was a betrayal to the woman who was Sonia, but he knew that if she had been there, she would tell him to do what needed to be done, and he knew what that thing was. He stood with Sonia's heavy sword in one hand. The other gripped the object hard as the bag smoldered away to nothing. It was a silver steel mask, like he had used countless times. It was more elegant, though. Light silver chains and smooth contoured features would make it less punishing to wear. Tarufe blew flames at him. The mask glimmered brightly in the fire as he leapt behind a basalt outcropping. It would take more than that to stop him, now that he had made up his mind. Nearly two score of Latigo's bravest Neverborn hunters had gone into the necropolis. But barely a dozen had escaped back to the sewer entrance. Nino was one of the few who was unhurt having maintained a sniper's nest away from the main fighting, but even he was coughing from the smoke that had filled the cavern and forced their retreat. Where's Badita? Santiago's voice, hoarse from shouting during the fighting, cut over the moaning and hacking of the group. No one else had words to say. What they had seen was too terrible to recount, but the thought that Padita had awoken just to be killed in the same day was too much for them to take. Several strong men who had managed to keep their wits about them during the battle now struggled to hold themselves together. If she were coming, she'd be here by now. There's no way she... Francisco spoke quietly so only his brother would hear him. But the crypt quiet of their kin made it impossible to speak and not be heard. She is here now, Adita spoke. And it took her a moment to come into view. She and Samael were carrying Sonia's body between them an arm draped over each of their shoulders. Sonia's red hair hung down over her face, and between the strands they saw metal where there should be flesh. Tied around her wrist and resting over Samael's shoulders was the wire frame of a lamp, burning bright, though there was no clear fuel source. Though it licked at Sam's oil-treated duster, he did not seem concerned, and the leather wasn't even turning dark from the heat. Something had happened to them. Something had happened to all of them. But those three had seen worse than the other Ortegas. What? Santiago began. But Perdita held up a hand. This is not something we would speak of. Ever. Her eyes turned to the small group and saw that they were all looking at her for direction. Flecks of purple and silver danced in her eyes. Let's go home. Will that be all for the Ortegas? I seriously doubt it. Thank you for listening to this tale of Malifaux, and join us next time on the Breachside Broadcast for the finest vox casting on either side of the breach.